T'as voulu voir Vierzon et on a vu Vierzon T'as voulu voir Vesoul et on a vu Vesoul T'as voulu voir Honfleur et on a vu Honfleur T'as voulu voir Hambourg et on a vu Hambourg J'ai voulu voir Anvers, on a revu Hambourg J'ai voulu voir ta sœur et on a vu ta mère Comme toujours T'as plus aimé Vierzon, on a quitté Vierzon T'as plus aimé Vesoul, on a quitté Vesoul T'as plus aimé Honfleur, on a quitté Honfleur T'as plus aimé Hambourg, on a quitté Hambourg T'as voulu voir Anvers, on a vu que c'est Faubourg T'as plus aimé ta mère, on a quitté ta sœur Comme toujours Mais je te le dis Je n'irai pas plus loin Mais je te préviens J'irai pas à Paris D'ailleurs j'ai horreur de tous les flonflons De la valse musette et de la cornée Okay. Um, oh man. So this is a, another special edition bull session of Filthy Armenian Adventures with the return of Jacques Masson. This is a Francophilic episode <laughs> that we're going to be doing um, where we discuss thoughts on two novels by the French troublemaking auteur uh michelle welbeck uh the uh, the novels are elementary particles published in what what was it published um 98 98 and the more recent um submission published in 2016 i think 2015 2016 um book kind of like they're i guess they're i don't know does he have a more recent novel than submission or is that his latest overall uh there's serotonin which i haven't read yet Serotonin is more recent. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll put, I'll have to, I mean, I, I have to say just based on these two, which I have, it's been a month now since I've read them. So I'm, I have to, I'm going to be going off of my notes and uh, I might be a little fuzzy on the details, but I, I read them kind of not in one sitting, but very, very quickly. I devoured both of them, starting with elementary particles. Um, I, I, I got all the hype instantly. I was like, okay, I get it. I'd been hearing Huelbeck's name thrown around only because of the echoes of Red Scare and clearly Anna, who popularized him in this sphere. I hadn't really caught wind of him when he kind of made it big in the early 2010s. Um, it, it seems like that, that was his first big explosion in at least stateside. And mm-hmm. I think it really wasn't until you know, the, the red scare echoes that I caught wind of him and all the references to him from people who obviously hadn't really read him, but, um, who wanted to seem like they're, they've got the right lifestyle novelist in their, uh, book stack on the bedroom. Um, yeah. The and- e-girl book stack by the target mirror leaned on the wall, the target or, or on the beach where it's like opened per- just perfectly in the middle. They're never like just starting the book. They're never finishing it. It's always mm-hmm. right in the middle, just like in the fucking white Lotus, uh, in the white Lotus depiction of sexual persona, where it's right in the middle of a 180 <laughs> I, page. Uh, it, yeah. Persona. The deliberately artificial uh, white Lotus prop books were pretty funny. I thought there was like fake covers. The fake covers were and and the fake length, um, yeah. <laughs> the, the the Reader's Digest abbreviated sexual personae that, uh-huh. that she was read Zendaya was read was it Zendaya who's that 
They're so yeah, all Zendaya. They're all Zendaya at this point. Yeah. Um, but clearly, and I all and I've already recommended it well back to my uncle who's loving it. I mean, I knew it was right up his alley. Um, so he's he's tickled about it. Um and and I really enjoyed it. And man, does it feel ever more prescient given the latest round of I don't even know what to call it at this point. I don't know what element of I I, I missed the amendment in the US Constitution, which mandated that every single political battle in this country must be retarded. It must, it must um it must reach the most insane common denominator of female hysteria. That as retarded as possible. Yeah. With, that, with no room left to get worse at all times. That is the rule. I missed the part of the Constitution where that where that was inserted, but apparently it's in there because this happens. This has been happening forever. And the latest now, if you haven't heard, is this. Uh, I don't. It's it's too early to even get into it, but this there is now a there has now been a. Um, a, a decision to rally around the, the the framing of pedophiles and groomers as the enemy uh, from the right. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's become the, that is, as you say, that is the, the, the P word is the R word of the right. It is the unanswerable racism card being played. And uh, true to form, it has, abs- it has pretty much nothing to do with reality. Um, this is sort yeah. of like it exists in a plane of pure, pure pundit fundraising, you know, and I guess some legitimately politically effective rabble rousing, which is really annoying to deal with on a day to day basis. Just as the word racist has no meaning in the way that it's currently used, the word pedophile has no meaning in the way that it's currently used. It's they've. They've done the work of rendering the term completely meaningless by adopting this like behemoth that you simply cannot argue against. That's just like smooth brain. I mean, all I can do is just not think about it because, you know, it's designed so that you cannot get into fights about it online. Because if you question it whatsoever, then you have to deal with the week of being called a pedophile. Um, yeah, it's just for retarded people. And it's about a non-existent made-up problem that doesn't exist, but is sensational and emotionally appealing and can always get a reaction. Um but it's simply like the way that they uh and by they i think i mean straight people uh <laughs> you know i'm typically you know number one heterosexual pride straight people defender mm-hmm. but whenever this pops off uh their weaknesses are very apparent um and it's just you can't say anything about it you can't argue you can't do anything it's just like turns discourse into this 
into like the black box, the black lives matter, Instagram, black box where everything is just canceled <laughs> yeah. out and you can do nothing. Um, yeah. And <sighs> I also, I just like simply don't want to talk about pedophilia every day, all day. And it doesn't necessarily turn me it. on. This is a surprise. No. It's come as a surprise to many. <laughs> like, it's, it's, scr- shrieking with shrieking with a uh, uh, with a um a libidinal fervor about child fucking and child pornography twenty four seven isn't Diggling. everybody's bag. We get that it's some people. Some people they enjoy that sort of thing. They never get tired of it. They can do it all day, every day. But their criticisms are simply inaccurate because they're operating from this like imaginary dated paradigm where libtards represent untrammeled uninhibited libido and like decadence it, like they have this like fantasy of libtards as somehow being sexual in a literal sense when libtardism is entirely bureaucratic and cold and just about make work jobs and manipulation and absorbing money but the way that they paint it the way that they're constantly saying they want to diddle your kids. It's, it doesn't apply to reality whatsoever. <laughs> it's such a, it's such a, you know, I was drawn to, I was drawn to conservative thought as I've explained before by the truth and justice and variety of life factor and and the you know awareness of reality factor and all these interesting things i wasn't drawn by by a desire to put on the anti-pedo uniform every time i felt cornered by the culture war like i'm not i'm not interested in that particular i'm not interested in that particular um strain you know i'm just tired i'm tired like the black women are because i've known that this was a dirtbag left crypto libtard red flag for so many years and yet every month i mean like while you were fiddling with your mic i clicked over to twitter and it literally just showed me a tweet about pedos <laughs> uh and it's all so annoying and gay and low IQ and has the opposite of the intended effect. Um, it's what else is there to say? I'm simply tired. Um, yeah, I'm so tired. TM. I think <laughs> I will return. Yeah. Satanic pedophile elite, Something, <laughs> a, a convenient, goofy construction where you can signify a little bit of edginess and like conspiratorial thought, um, but you don't have to actually answer for anything because it doesn't exist and it doesn't apply to any like uh, real um, things or politics happening in the world that you would actually risk anything to criticize. So you can just have a goofy fantasy about the satanic pedophile elite constantly out of sight and not have to criticize, you know, COVID, Democrats, black people, whatever, whatever is actually women, whatever is actually dangerous to criticize. It's so stupid. I mean, there's also this weird, it's like this, um, it's like, it gives people, I feel like it gives parents a 
very sim even within their own kind of context of like raising their kids and you know successfully averting the the uh the, their uh the sexual um onslaught of whatever propaganda for their kids i feel like it sets a pretty low bar when the focus is on this very obvious monstrosity which is you know i mean it's not that difficult to avert in a sense like it's either you're either it's either not that difficult to avert because you you know you don't let your kids hang out with complete strangers and shit or it's impossible to avert because the pedo might be your uncle you know it's like it's like there's no there's no actual strategy involved here mm -hmm. there is this fantasy that the their dumb shit teachers are going to completely infect them with their own gender confusion which i guess might be the case um it does however feel like if you if you're sending your kids to a school with blue-haired like gender goblin teachers wh how, why why are you doing that again like what what's the there's no one who's for nobody's forced to send their kids to gender goblin school from from what i can tell and usually yeah. the most gender goblin -y schools are private they're not even public like the yeah. ones i'm the ones in la you get far worse. You get far more like creepy coddling, like uh, a bullshit in a in a, you know a liberal versus conservative private school than you would in a massive public school where it's just kind of it's just kind of like a big old prison, you know. We haven't seen the long term effects yet of like what happens to children when gender goblinism to that degree is institutionalized and like what they're going to be rebelling against because it's not like you know it's it's not like i went to public school and thought everything that my teacher said was real <laughs> like i don't think that typically happens to teenagers but like let alone let alone about sex yeah like who are these loser kids that are going I to really <laughs> just like i totally <laughs> want to hear about sex and everything from my teachers and everything they say is religious dogma like totally true i don't know yeah I'm it's all very it's all it's just i think the main point is that a it it it's it's all kind of and i think I don't mind having started on this um, inflammatory foot with Welbeck because I think that we return, you know, he is a very interesting vessel to all these sorts of civilizational quandaries that I think are finding a form in these panics, you know, where it's like you can't, you're not actually, you're not actually take, battling the real battle. You're entertaining yourself with a sort of fake panic where victory and where villainy villainy is very a victory is is sort of very easy to declare in one in one sense you've avoided the pedo um and villainy is very easy to de depict except that it's not actually a there's nothing in the real world that you're you're confronting yeah, that represents like this i'm against murder or i'm against war yeah stunning and brave right you're against I, war that's truly stunning and brave. How are we going to prevent war now? Um, but yeah, just as you said, uh, 
how can the thing actually be stopped? Um, I'll prevent myself from going much further, but <laughs> I will say this. Uh, it's really fucking funny to me. The idea that men exist, uh, like supposedly free thinking men um, who support something called the sex offender registry invented in the 80s uh, that only affects men. Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) I think it's really, really funny. The idea of, you know, like, I'm going to get off the grid and buy a bunch of guns and kill a bunch of deer. But here I support this thing called the sex offender registry that um, is just a database of uh, men who have misbehaved in wildly different degrees and <laughs> just they still all support it nobody's yeah it's, it's just literally any everything from an, an 18 year old dating a 17 year old peeing in public peeing know? in public <laughs> peeing in public which yeah let him who has not but, pissed on a you know on a lawn when drunk at 3 a.m the title of that the sex offender registry just imagine seeing that in stark print and like, you know, being a little red pilled, like in any which direction and thinking, yeah, okay. I want the sex offender registry to exist. What about a cringe offender registry? <laughs> yeah. I support that. That'd I support be... a libtard offender, libtard registry. offender registry. There are a lot of registries before we get to sex offender. Yeah. Yeah. No matter how based and red pilled you are, you want all these uh, registries monitoring people. Um, <laughs> well, it's the sort of ineffectual. And it's like, I don't, I'm not even like, I, I, it's like this, this new arousal has, is a result of a combination of the Florida law, which seems, I haven't even looked into it. I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with it, um, but I haven't looked into it. And like you, I have no desire to look into it. Um, and I've totally avoided the specifics on yeah. purpose. And I just see this wash that brings to mind two years ago, Cuties Gate, when um, the entire world was ending because of the PG 13 Netflix f- French art movie directed by a woman, Mignon. And uh, if you objected to this in any way or said it was not the end of the world then you were over you were toast um so i just see this wash of straight people talking about canceling disney and like the word pedo over and over again and like certain phrases and i like can tell what's going on and I don't want to know anymore. <laughs> I, I, just, I simply don't. Um, and where this always goes, uh, it, in the heterosexual gaze, um, is that anything that should be blamed on women who are viewed as eternally innocent and misled, uh, you know, gentle creatures who don't have to pay for anything that they've done or any of the propaganda that they've spread. Um, it all gets blamed on the idea of men having sex with men because that's since the beginning of time been the most sensational, emotionally appealing thing that you can bring up to stir up a crowd is the idea of men fucking each other in the butt because it's so unnatural, it's so gross, uh, it makes you imagine it happening to you, as Quentin Crisp said. 
Um, so whatever the libtards did, calling it don't say gay, which from what I gather is erroneously attributed attributing this uh, gender goblin libtard woman ideology to gay men yeah. who are uh for all intents and purposes enemies of the movement at this point uh that was a very clever move on their part very clever and it's gotten <laughs> yeah very clever because it's provoked it's everyone turned this into gay men everyone hates and it provokes the right into this idea that that um yeah this that this is a gay that this is a like this is the next logical step from gay marriage you see we let gay marriage happen and now smash cut to this uh, skipping over the previous 10 years and all the nuances of, of the, the basically the destruction of normal gay men by gender goblin ideology. And how gender goblins are all straight men. How gen- they're mostly straight or, and, or just women who are just like completely or just like they're rotted women. on the vine women. But the, the autogynophiles, they're all fucking straight. All straight. Yeah. <laughs> like it's. And also, they're also they gay is so so slimy. They're pinning it on gay too because you know, like lesbians have always escaped the posse when it comes to this stuff. Like when it comes to gay panics, um, nobody's ever given a shit about lesbians because lesbians don't offend women because you don't you know the way that gay men offend women by not wanting to have sex with not by not desiring a woman you offend the woman at a level that. That, uh, that that a level that not, not, no other offense can match because their pussy is the most valuable thing that ever existed yes and any man yeah. who and any man who boycotts the pussy must be must be poisoned Destroyed. yeah must be some uh. satanic figure so you've got women and then if you got and then you can work straight dudes in a lather because the only thing straight straight dudes can never ever ever admit that their wives are shrews or that the daughters are whores, so they have to find they have to find a boogeyman to uh, a whipping boy um, to uh, 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 take take their grief out of uh, out on. Uh, no matter how fucking in disconnected it is to the problems of their household, so it's this perfect. It's like it's the perfect scapegoat. Gays get it in the ass every time there's a liptard panic. So here we are. Uh, Jack is the. Um, the host of the Perfume Nationalist podcast. I'm sure most of you already know. Um, I was on recently for my second visit to discuss the the v- extremely urgent matter of Robert Altman's Nashville. Um, so y'all should check that out and subscribe to the Perfume Nationalist. Uh, I forgot to introduce that earlier. So patreon.com uh, slash perfume nationalist. For it's really the complete easy. continuing story. There's now what 150 episodes. Yeah, I'm almost to 150. One of the one of the great countercultural um, uh, phenomena of our moment, the perfume nationalist since 2019, oh. um, and um, soon Jacques will be conducting a seminar, a webinar on the on the works of Mr. Welbeck. Can yes. you tell us more about that and how you've kind of approached like what's the what the plan has been for that? Cuz this is the idea is to kind of get you warmed up for that. Well, it was supposed to happen last month, but it's been delayed um 
but uh, I'm doing it with my good friend and frequent TPN guest, Dan Thrall, uh, who is currently offline. Um, But we're just doing four different classes, about four different Welbeck books. I think we're going to do whatever elementary particles submission and um, uh, serotonin. Um, Welbeck to me was one of the most important red pills ever because I think uh, in about 2010, 2011, when I read elementary particles due to a New Yorker article on Welbeck, uh, Map in the Territory had just come out and it had this like faintly condemnatory tone where they called him like a nihilist and a shock artist and a fascist and all of this, but way gentler than anything that they would currently print. And also John Waters for like decades has called Welbeck his favorite author. Um, But the shock of elementary particles, when I read it in my early 20s, if you've never read anything from a like reactionary or right-wing perspective in the realm of literary fiction it almost seems like it's a mistake as it's occurring uh as you go along in the book and the characters get more and more uh racist and the depictions of women (laughs) get more and more uh brutal and the depiction of sexual liberation gets worse and worse you're waiting for some kind of condemnation to happen and then it never does so this book introduced me to you know basically an entire new way of looking at the world Um, it is indeed a shocking book uh even (laughs) even at this distance i mean even having read it a month ago at my age and with my lack of you know lack of innocence about most things um or maybe all things i don't know uh but uh it was first of all the first thing to say about welbeck in general is that he is funny as hell really funny um submission is more of an overt satire and it's a little bit more and i don't know if um i don't know if there is a translate because of submission was translated by some paris review editor and it's it feels like it was written it's it has a different sort of style to it it has a different sort of syntax in translation i don't know if that's because of the translation or that's because he did it in a totally different style but it has a very different uh kind of you know, prose to it. Um, and if, and it's an obvious for reasons, you know, you will, you know, we'll discuss and you'll, you'll see when you read it, it's, it's, it's an obvious, you know, kind of, uh, uh, near future satire, um, and much more tongue in cheek than elementary particles. Elementary particles is brutally, um, I would say a br- like, you know, brutally candid in its, disillusionment and also in its in its grasp for hope i don't know if that if that if that's i feel like there is one in there i feel like buried within it buried within its you know the ending is obviously the ending is the ending um but there is a grasp for hope in the novel that i found that really that really like enriched all of the darkness in it well elementary particles definitely feels like uh, the work of someone younger and angrier and then submission on this reread 
it's just compared to elementary particles it seemed uh light as a feather <laughs> you know oh just, yeah yeah a, a light humorous little, little romp wisp of a novel a little yeah. romp uh it's like comparatively so happy and yeah it's funny because submission is the one that everybody like finds out about first and they're like oh this is going to be so shocking and racist about muslims and whatnot and that one's like just nothing compared to the others like, oh no uh, the no. elementary particles it casts a pall over your entire life like the other day i had to just when it got to the point um about the uh cult leaders failed rock star son like filming snuff movies of like dismembering old ladies and infants and stuff i was like oh that's enough welbeck for today and just walked around in a terrible mood (laughs) for the rest of the day just every the relentless obsession with aging and just like sagging vaginas and small dicks and just like every every horrible thought that you could possibly have it like hones in on those and makes you see uh life and love is just totally impossible whereas uh submission just you know happy ending (laughs) he gets money converts to islam gets wives um but yeah it's like the difference between the two definitely just feels like um the, the kind of gentility that comes with getting older and uh being being less like you know angry in the punk rock sort of way yeah there's that re- well you know and there's also there's also the sense in which you know there's a way in which after elementary particles you almost wonder how is this good a guy going to write another book i'm almost curious to read the one that came right the ones that came he right after the it. same thing over and over again right you know right. with very interesting results like catherine brea one of my favorite directors she basically like remakes the same movie over and over again. Like a real young girl, uh, 36 Fiat and fat girl are all just three remakes of the same story. And they're all really different and interesting, but yeah, Welbeck keeps the same ingredients and the same tone and the same kind of, uh, speculative science fiction, futuristic flavor, uh, to all of them and just kind of rearranges the elements he's um you know there's a there's an alternative title to elementary particles which might be and it, which would also describes every kind of like sex scene and every character in the book which is basically he had begun a period of slow decline <laughs> this is like the undercurrent and between every in between every line there is the you know, Western civilization has, had begun a period of slow decline. And I think that is the, of all things in the book, that's the most kind of, um, that's the most, you know, harrowing. That that sense in which the defeat and the decline of our civilization is, is, is without, is without any kind of doubt, like in this, in the, in the world as depicted by Huelbeck. It's truly, I mean, he, he seeks, he, he looks for the way out and, and, and that's when he has to resort to science fiction to find it. But he very convincingly, very convincingly presents every little aspect sort of beginning from the 60s, beginning from that initial rebellion from the game, you know, uh, from the game of Christendom, from the game of... 
capitalism, whatever you want to call it, like that that 1960s rebellion and forward, which of course is rooted in his own severe mommy issues, a theme that will recur in future episodes of of the future normal episodes of the Armenian Adventures, um, severe mommy issues. Like, like I think the the story of well, we can get into the plot a little bit, but basically, this is it's sort of an autobiographical story. Right? Am I? I'm not wrong, yeah. right? Yeah. And His, one of the two brothers is clearly him. Like Bruno is, you know, the one that's him, and then the other, the uh, Michel, the one that has his name, is the like autistic asexual one right who is clearly not really him yeah or just one very clever minor minor side of his personality yeah very clever deflection that misdirection there (laughs) i see you frenchman (laughs) in your tricks (laughs) yeah it's it's well the the i would say that like it it's it's almost impossible to to have written this book unless it was autobiographical in its particulars, like in its, the, 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 the candor with which he, you know, he gets into the root of the problem, which is, which is parents, uh, parents who got swept up in hedonistic 60s, 70s, uh well you know 60 70s hedonism idealism um hippy dippy type of like wanting to d- denial of of death basically denial of age and who basically abandoned their kids and abandoned them for kind of you know for for this cult and for the idea of of eternal sexual pleasure and youth and who fucked them up beyond all repair um and that seems to be the you know that's some, that's a, that's the type of thing that if it happens to you know it'll happen to you if it happens to you <laughs> you know it like that it's it's so it's so detailed and the way that he describes Bruno's twelve year old experience of walking into his mother's bedroom as she lay with one of her uh, burly young boyfriends. And I really, really feel for guys who have cold mothers. I cannot imagine. <laughs> I was blessed with a very, uh, you know, nice and warm and loving and supportive and kind of traditional mother. And I cannot imagine moving through life, uh, starting with a cold and distant nasty mother figure who doesn't care about you i kept like in the in the like movie version of this in my mind i always pictured the mother as charlotte rampling just like ice cold bitter charlotte rampling like in life during wartime um but yeah it's like uh the most artful part of the book and the most important part of the book for me and the most like exquisitely rendered is how it describes the cultural transformations uh from the 50s to the 90s in all of these specific little ways like describing how the nudist colonies rebrand in the 80s with like 
business conferences and then later with like new age philosophy describing how all of that initial psychedelic hippy dippy uh transitory pleasures uh no connections ideology anti-natalist ideology how that transformed over the decades uh before you die and you're left with nothing is really really artful it's also artful yeah i agree with 100 percent. it's also artful the way in which he kind of you know there is a certain not altogether negativity to the kind of late stage um to one of the i forget what when they go off to that kind of resort uh that where the cult used to be and which used to be kind of the 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 epicenter of 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 sexual debauchery and still is but is in a far more humane way now divorced from ideology and just sort of it's almost it's just like a it's like a nudist colony now and people of all age and the way he describes the the gracious elements of it are also interesting um bringing the bringing in mind as they do the kind of high the 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 gay the kind of gay version at its highest level, which is the lack of judgment, which is the way in which old people are permitted to, to, to be there and to look and to, you know, which is the, the way in which no violence is permitted in terms of refusal, just sort of, you know, polite refusal is all that's needed. Um, there were the ways, the way he kind of tracked not only the devolution of it from an idealistic standpoint, but the evolution of it from a kind of pragmatic standpoint. Um, including in Bruno's relationship with that, what with with what's her name, Christian? Yeah, before go before the disaster that occurs, um, before the uh, the mm-hmm. disaster at the sex club. Like there is a certain, you know, he 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 finds a certain golden, a little bit of a a a, a, a happy purgatory there. Oh think? right, it all sounds uh, really appealing to me even with how depressing it's depressingly it's described and how like kind of uh judgmental the overall narrative is about the results of sexual liberation i definitely love the idea of um a 70s kind of free love nudist colony that's been like you know, renovated and added on to in all of these different ways and <laughs> like still existing three decades later. And especially the later, uh, the resort, the nudist resort that he goes yeah, to. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Is awesome. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, especially the nudist resort, which which seemed like it had found, it had found a formula of a functioning, um, of a functioning sexual liberation, basically the way he describes that nudist resort. And like, nudists are an interesting thing because if you were like a kid in the nineties, nudists were like mentioned frequent. Like it feels like they filled up this headspace. Like they, ex- there was always like the threat of nudists or something. Maybe this is from living in Austin and there's hippie hollow, the like nude beach that's famous um, from the seventies or whatever. But uh like you don't hear anything about nudists anymore like that's totally gone with the wind because it's so incompatible with today's like sex panic consent obsessed 
uh sexual economy you know yeah skittish uh (laughs) physically yeah physically horrified Mm -hmm. um yeah it it really is i mean i you know for me growing up i just nudist was just something from the 60s like i saw it depicted in one of the pink panther movies when he goes into the nudist (laughs) colony I, i don't i don't remember which one exactly but it's really funny scene where peter sellers goes into the clusogo has to go into the nudist colony to investigate and gets naked himself. Um, it was always a 60s thing in my head. And also, it honestly feels like, you know, I've been to France a few times, including when I was like, the earliest I was like 13. And everyone would always talk about how people were, are just topless on the beaches in France. And it's true. Like I went as a kid and I remember this glorious, this beautiful chick uh, with a, a handsome boyfriend and just bathing by the lake and her with her big luscious tits all out there. Just, you know, like it's the natural, most natural thing in the world. And it's not, it's not the, it's not the kind of um, the, the entire, the, the full on uh, behavioral nudism, but it's pretty, it's, it's, it's half the way there. You know, it's like, it's pretty natural over there. It seems. Yeah. I mean, now like, the current sexual mindset is so conservative that we're basically like pilgrims, like worse than pilgrims. Cause like pilgrims had like common sense about like gender and we don't have that anymore. It's like, (laughs) it's just complete trauma obsessed rape fantasy obsessed fear of human sexuality we have all the liberation with none of the sexuality with none of the sex it was like yeah. it, the the lib the sex part got chopped off the sexual part got chopped off and is now it's just aimless pointless liberation of what you can call yourself in a work email yeah and the way that like you'll see like zoomers like bring up like recent history from the 90s or something with this like judgmental finger waving tone like uh i remember in the 90s in like vanity fair when it like demi moore and bruce willis were together there was always like she was always saying like oh we're just naked comfortable together as a family you know and that that would never happen from a celebrity now like this kind of like nudist uh <laughs> family no no way never they would never happen from a celebrity now but they yeah. always like like pull that out like wow i can see why celebrities are so fucked up like satanic pedo elite it's like do they you know i mean as i was telling you i i read for an episode i recorded hasn't come out yet i read sleeping with strangers uh david thompson's history of sex basically in hollywood and in movies and holy shit i mean i don't know i know i don't know exactly to what degree it was public about a number of these people, but I, you know, I feel like there was a level of, you know, p- p- of of stars identifying as sexual, vor- you know, having sexual voracious appetites going back to the fucking twenties. Like, yeah. obviously, you know, coded in some kind of language most of, much of the time, but I don't think it was that coded. Like, it was, it was still kind of, it was still kind of assumed that there were various stars who were just plowing their way through flesh at will and it was part of their glamour and it was part of their grandeur and it's like and and let alone the 50s 60s 70s i mean 
Didn't Demi Moore coog over on um, Ashton Kutcher, or is that someone else? Who yeah, Ashton, cooked- Ashton Kutcher, she did that. And she also started off her career, like, posing for nude magazines with her, like, massive black beaver legs totally spread. Demi Moore has always been, like, this, like, uh, focal point of, like, nudity and... <laughs> nudity and sexual liberation she was the first you know uh like nude pregnant one that oh, was obsessed yeah. with being nude and pregnant and then um there's that movie uh which i really like that's totally crazy the seventh sign have you seen that is that a plan is that the polanski movie it, it's not but it mm. feels like a polanski movie and it's like a it's like a doomsday movie and it's from 88 but she's she already has these very like gratuitous uh nude scenes where she's actually pregnant in it so she's oh, wow. like, had this like pregnancy nudity fetish the whole time director carl schultz tristar pictures um i'll have to put well put that on your 15 percent on rotten tomatoes which means it's got to be good um so put that on your list uh the seventh sign. Yeah, people really hate this movie, and I really, really like it. Yeah, um, there was a seventh. One of less, one of the lesser Polanskis is a. I thought had a, was a seventh. That Johnny Depp one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he's like, they're invest. It's a kind of like a Da Vinci Code type of plot, um, where it's like he's investigating the devil and some shit. Um, I thought it had the word seven in it. Yeah, um, I just watched another one of those movies, End of Days, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, where it's like an Antichrist thing, and he has to save this girl from getting impregnated by Gabriel Byrne, who's like the devil. It's really weird because it doesn't seem like an Arnold vehicle at all, but it's pretty like Baroque and schizo and interesting view 20 years later. Anyway, well, anyway, the point is that there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting things in this book. I'm gonna I have taken some some that connect to what we were just what we opened this conversation talking about, which I think see I think France is a like many Catholic countries, perhaps, and others, uh, a, a, a somewhat of a mommy issues country, more so than a daddy issues country. And as we discussed, the mommy issues, that's a bigger problem. Like when you have serious mommy issues, um, especially if you're a boy, especially if you're a guy, um, bigger problem, it seems to me, than having daddy issues. Because daddy issues, there is a, you know, there's less expected from the start. So, I feel like there's less of a there's less of a scar from daddy issues, even if it's the worst, you know, even if they're the it's the worst kind where he was completely absent, you never know who he was and sort of thing. There's a certain romance about having such daddy issues. Sometimes, as we discussed too, daddy issues can be like literally positive. I mean, and daddy issues just seem like standard standard sexual operating system. Like, right, that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Standard like female heterosexuality, like you know. It's what if you don't as I I I have this bit that I that I sometimes do in when I'm doing stand up and stuff and it's and it's like my pre, the idea is that like ninety percent of people have daddy issues and the other ten percent are perverts 
Like, if you don't have daddy issues, that's when you're fucked up. Because daddy issues is what connects you to all of men, you know, versus having some weird little fetish where they can only be uh, something else, you know, that's not a daddy. Um, which is what exactly like, you know, there's like, it's, it's way more, it's way healthier at the basic level and it's natural. It's a natural thing. And it's mommy issues can be natural too, in the sense that you're trying to liberate yourself. If you're a boy from your being a mama's boy, that's like the Jewish overbearing mother who turns, who, who, who deforms her son through, through over-involvement in his life for too long. That's a version of mommy issues. That's Lindy. And that's, that's totally, um, you know, normal, basically. It's just, it, it can go too far like everything else, but it's part of the fabric of life. But this horrible, horrifying version of mommy issues where she's underbearing and cold and prefers the company of many younger men over you, the son, that's, that's a rough one. And that's obviously what Huelbeck had. Yeah. That's yeah, a rough one. That's a fucking. Yeah, she rough. is. I think the first really shocking scene is when he walks in and sees her vagina as she's fucking some guy, and then he goes outside to masturbate. When he and that create yeah that creates his sexuality forever. Yeah, and that he comes creates his sexuality forever. Um, yeah, France is definitely mommy issues obsessed. Like I think of like all those like Isabelle Huppert movies mm-hmm. <laughs> really like the, the one that's literally called mom air, uh, you know, yeah. where it's, a, it's, uh, uh, it was like the scene of her with the, you know, her like hot French son. And she's like, you know, about like jacking him off or like smelling his ass. It's just depraved, depraved NC 17, great French trash. And then the piano teacher is another mommy issues one as well uh that's very popular these days where she's where she's uh wanting this much much younger guy to sadomasochistically torture her that's a yeah i watched it recently i mean relatively a few months ago and um yeah well her face in just about every frame who pairs face in every frame of piano teacher is uh, you know, imagine a string, a piano string that is about to fray, and that is her. Like she is just like the the way she, the way she, her tension in that movie nonstop is is something you cannot get out of your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was rooting for, I was rooting for her the whole time. I was rooting for her in the hockey in the locker room of the hockey players. I was rooting for her to find, you know, to get to, to for me, but it's just, it's, it's like, it's not going to, there's not there. The happy ending is elusive unless you go the science fiction route, which, um, which, which Welbeck did here. Oh, and um, she has mommy issues with her own mommy and piano teacher as well. There's that, that scene where she like gets on top of her mother and starts violently kissing her. Uh, oh yeah, the, yeah. The creepiest of all. I forgot about that. This mother daughter. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> what scene. is even going on in mother daughter? <laughs> oh, and it's yeah, and that's way more common than people think. Yeah, lots of lesbians. Uh, according to Polya, lesbians all have mommy issues, and you know, I don't know. 
all that much about like the standard old school lesbian psychology that leads one to become the lesbians and third dying race that's being transed out of existence. But it's, it's trust Polly's word. I, I trust your word too, because anecdotally I can see it too. I can see it where, um, it's the kind of mommy issues too, where there's a certain very old fashioned element to it, which doesn't exist anymore. And I wonder if this has a role to play in the fact that lesbians are vanishing apart from the fact, you know, apart from the influence of transgender stuff and of non-binary outlets, um, kind of swooping them up. I wonder if there's some, the, there's a huge element of lesbianism that used to be generated by the no longer existing, but once common preference that mothers would show to their sons over their daughters. Like it used to be a thing, especially if you had an old world mentality, like if you had any of the old world mentality, there used to be a preference for the, for like, they used to baby and coddle and, 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 and uh, privilege the son, especially if it was a firstborn son over the daughter. And I wonder, and, you know, let him get away with more and let him uh, go off and be, be a freer person, which a daughter would resent and the daughter would be stuck at home taking care of all the bullshit and taking care of her mom's bullshit and taking care of her mom and resent the brother. for And somehow in that pot boil, lesbianism ensues, maybe not even early, maybe late. You know, it's like, it's not, it's not, I feel like that might be a factor, but nobody favors sons anymore. Yeah. See oh, what this, you have this, done. <laughs> this also reminds me a good, uh, another good horrifying anti sixties companion piece to this is a book called the last closet by Maura Grayland, Marion Zimmer, Bradley, the sci-fi author's daughter. And it's her memoir about the nightmare of living, uh, growing up with two, uh, gay, pedophile activist nudist hippie insane parents who raped her and everyone knew about this like her father was walter brain a man who he was a numismatist like a coin autist um mm -hmm. and he'd been like arrested for having sex with boys like back since the 50s and um he married Marion Zimmer Bradley, who was a an open lesbian activist. They wrote books on like Greek love together and were like Nambla activists. Um, they were nude around the house all the time, lived in filth. Uh, she says that the father was far nicer than the mother. The mother was totally cruel. They both raped her and her brother all the time for years because they totally believed philosophically in like total sexual liberation. And in the circles they ran in in Berkeley in the 60s and 70s and 80s, everybody kind of knew and nobody cared. And this is all like fact and like court documents from when her father finally got arrested when he went too far and then he died in prison in the early 90s. But the Mists of Avalon enjoyed immense popularity with uh, new age feminist lesbians uh, and, you know, women of all stripes. 
throughout the 80s and the 90s and to this day but that's like it's like elementary particles but like far more horrifying and it's all real (laughs) it's a really good book and she's totally the daughter is is like adamantly anti-homosexuality that's why you never see anything written about this even even though in the like me too era where everybody focuses on you know lurid rape stuff the fact that the daughter is kind of an anti-gay activist is why you never hear anything about it ah and tell us the title tell me the title again it's called the last closet by maura grayland the last closet um, but that has absolutely monstrous, horrifying mother-daughter yeah. <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and and one can only conclude that the reason you don't... There's no mommy issues, like, direct semi-erotic genre, you know, like the, there is for daddy issues. The daddy issues thing is not only a matter of pornographic, uh, you know genre that every oldest story in the book but also there's so many like there's so many there's so many genres of netflix net like that you could just call daddy issues including all the serial killer ones and and all the docs they're all just daddy it's all just daddy issues by other by another name you know but you don't he loved me enough to kill me finally (laughs) finally yeah yeah uh, and there's all these uh there's all these roaming daddies who just would want nothing more than to find me and destroy me without even knowing who I am and risk everything and get the death penalty because your little pussy is so hot. I can't resist. (laughs) It's a, it's a very tempting um, sensation, I guess, but there really isn't anything for mommy issues. I feel other than like the horror of like mother and, you know, it appears as this almost religious, uh, as a religious thing but they're but the dirty part of it isn't really broached in popular mm-hmm. entertainment um i feel with as much candor or uh no going in so it's an it's a, it is definitely a more hideous thing um so you know what did touch on it pretty uh pretty well is the david cronenberg movie maps to the stars okay maps to the stars uh, yeah, Maps of the Stars has uh, Julianne Moore as this, like, clearly patterned after Lindsay Lohan. Like, they made her look like Lindsay Lohan, but she's this aging aging movie star uh, who's, like, sexually obsessed with her dead movie star mother. Um, and it plays on the uh, weird, blurred lines, mother-daughter kind of incest vibes of Dina and Lindsay Lohan. You know, there are all those pictures from like peak Lindsay Lohan when she was out drunk everywhere. There's one picture where she's just fully making out with her mom. (laughs) (laughs) I used to always post it on my social media, but they're like, they're like in a club and they're like, legs are intertwined and they're like making out. (laughs) And then, you know, soon after that, that's when Lindsay got the, uh, the, uh, the mannish girlfriend. Uh, who she dabbled with but it's really funny but yeah that movie is schizo and really great i have to put that on the list um i've been feeling we'll take we'll we'll take our one hour break soon but first i just wanted to say because i'm gonna forget it i wonder if 
I, you know, I've been like yourself. I've been lately really coming around to this, to the idea of France being good. Yeah. Um, you know, after after just sort of like going along most of my life with the uh, dirtbag uh, trope about France being lame, <laughs> that we were all sort of, fr- you know, the freedom fries bullshit that we were kind of <laughs> always fed. <laughs> I'm a classic francophile old school homosexual, like in the most like Pepe Le Pew kind of <laughs> like, ooh la la, gay Paris. Yeah. I want to go to Paris. Like that's me. Yeah. I mean, honestly, as someone who's been to Paris a few times and who knows a lot of French shit, I mean, a lot of French people and all the French culture, like I, I and, and we can observe to like some of our favorite, our favorite listeners are French and some of the people yes. who get it the most are French. And, and, and as an Armenian, I have to note something which may not like make sense to everybody, but um, I've, I've, I've come to the conclusion that France is the only country that is the spiritual ally of both the United States and Armenia. French people are nice to Armenians and they're very um, well, there's a big Armenian community in France in both Paris and Marseille and trickled elsewhere too. But, but mainly those two places, it's one of the places where Arme- that what took in Armenians uh, after the genocide, but Armenians are very, and our France is very warm to Armenians and to Armenia and to, they're, they're not only because they have a vote, you know, in the elections, which they all, they of course want to influence, but uh, uh, over there, but I, I just sense of, there's a vibe, they vibe. And I wonder if it's because, partly because of this mommy issues thing and of the fact that they admire the warmth the, the 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 you know the, in in the Armenian in Armenian world like moms are revered and everyone's a mama's boy and uh and it's like it's such a warm relation and I wonder if that I wonder if they they admi- they like they look they look at that with admiration given their Isabel Huperian uh yeah uh, 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 shit I don't know <laughs> good question it, I mean it's just I think fuck- there's a, cer- a certain kinship or similarity between france and texas too because texas is kind of its own like polarizing country like right. separate from the rest of the united states kind of in the way that france is and people people have a certain kind of like pissy reaction when they think about texas they either like love it or they hate it um you know because of like modernity globalization etc texas is less you know eccentric <laughs> than it was once and individualistic than it once was of course but um texas still has a kind of uh individualistic eccentricity well i feel like there's definitely and take correct you know fill in my fill in the blanks of what i'm about to say but there's an obvious we know this that that france has France has worshipped and elevated so many exiles of American culture who were sort of like dismissed, you know, or they they made it here. But like Jerry Lewis, he's he's the one that they love, right? The comedian, Mm -hmm. the Jerry Lewis, like, you know, somebody who is sort of a laughing stock here, even though he's a big star, but they worshipped him over there. Alfred Hitchcock was worshipped there as an artist before he was ever taken seriously as an artist over here, I believe. Like, they were the ones who... And, and I get that Hitchcock's not American, but his work, the, the work that made him Hitchcock, I do believe is American. I believe his American movies are the ones that 
are the reason we we know we know about Alfred Hitchcock forever. And it was the French who who noticed that they are the same with like jazz and blues when it all when it kind of lost its popularity here from its like heyday from the 20s to the 40s. It was huge in Paris and huge in France, and a lot of people who couldn't make any money performing over here ended up performing over there. Um, and um, I just see you see I see this over and over again. There's probably other examples, but I do believe that. Texas- oh yeah, a big one is when did when's the last time you ever heard an American talk positively about D.W. Griffith? Oh uh, yeah, whatsoever. And Gaspar knows love. He puts a birth of a nation poster, not even like diluting it by doing intolerance or one of the more like acceptable ones, puts a birth of a nation poster front and center in the protagonist's bedroom. <laughs> and so, right. Uh, so, yeah, you, I didn't even know that you only hear birth of a nation, you know, great masterpiece, wonderful movie that everybody should watch, obviously spoken of in the trepidatious but isn't it evil tones uh, by Americans? But yeah, Gaspar No can uh, uh, take this American culture that's been uh, disposed of and neglected and uh, make it seem cool to Americans again. <laughs> I didn't even, I, I forgot to even mention Edgar Allan Poe. He was the first one that they, he may have been the first that they like really, uh, they really took seriously. When he was not being very uh, well treated over here, I believe. I don't know exactly what the timeline is, but I'm pretty sure he was he was like adored in France. It could be even after his death before he was taken seriously as part of the American canon here. Um, right. He was an early one, and of course they love the drunkenness of Edgar Allan Poe, and they love the yeah. You know, there's a certain garishness that highbrow critics on the home turf love to dismiss and demean and to de- degrade and you know declare over there's a certain like there's a certain maximalist thing that always offends the critics here but it's one that perhaps because of the um perhaps because of the bold simplifications of translation or, or just the the way that emotion is kind of the only thing that matters when you're when you're translated versus all the little, you know, nuances which maybe in the big scheme of things aren't as important as the big big emotions. You know, it's not all about the nuances all the time. Um, I mean, who knows what fucking nuances are lost in the translation of Welbeck? Yeah, but the French fucking love that shit. Like it, it makes it lands there. It lands there over and over and over again. You see this pattern. I mean, even on the level of, like, it's so charming and, like, uh, cute when you find out that this image of, like, the French and of Europeans that has been sold to you your entire life is, like, they're reading slim volumes of poetry and, like, drinking espresso and, like, are hyper-intellectual, but actually they worship McDonald's Mm -hmm. and, like, Ross and outlet malls and all of that kind of American stuff that we're so embarrassed of. Um, and you like go over there and like, they want to go to fucking McDonald's. They love <laughs> like, burgers. They love burgers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all of the stuff that we're so trained to be like ashamed of in America. They just, uh, 
absolutely love it. There's a there's a yeah they 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 love all of it, and, and that's why they love Texas. I mean, I feel like Texas, especially you know, leaving our own uh, overexposure to Austin and all the hip, all the um, uh, neo lib kind of homogenizing of Texas and everything else. Yeah. To them, Texas is still Texas. It's like Texas forever. Texas is still like Friday Night Lights. Texas is still um, the Western. Texas is, to them, I think Texas is the apotheosis of America. Like, it's the most America. And if they're going to go, if you're going to do it, if you're, if you're in the mood for America, you want to go all the way. You want to go Texas. You don't want to go Yankee. You know what I mean? Like... It yeah. makes sense that they that they're in love with the idea, the romance of Texas, because it's like mm-hmm. this especially American America, you know, that has no wide open spaces, wide open horses, horse shit, uh, football. You know, not that they like football, but the idea of football to them is just so ridiculously violent and 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 uniquely American. You know, guns, of course. Guns, big titties, big yeah. Debbie does, you know, Debbies <laughs> and Dallases doing each other all the time. Um, <laughs> diners and yeah, and like cows, like just piles of beef. And the cows are good in Texas, but beef is good. The beef is not very good in France. Like, um, uh, you know, newsflash it's not like in, you don't find really good beef in europe it's like all very leathery and tough and it's not even close to the beef wow that never here. even occurred to me it's one of the biggest it's one of my first and most profound impressions of going to europe was that you just don't get good beef there <laughs> it's uh-huh. shit <laughs> so yeah you really like the the quality of beef where we live is 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 truly a privilege and it's better even than the other like fashionable beef places like from what I understand from like Argentina and whatever, where the beef is supposed to be so great. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, we've got the best beef. We've got the best beef. Maybe in Japan where they, where they give the cows, their geisha cows and they give the cows blowjobs and all that (laughs) shit. They massage them and they give them, you know, they feed them with the sake and maybe they have, you know, they can compete at a thousand dollars a gram of beef, but like, well, you can just go to a fucking, uh, just get a basic ass uh, pr- prime rib, and it tastes like it. It, it would be taste like heaven yeah. to a Frenchman. Um, yeah. Well, let's let's pick up our discussion of elementary particles. Uh, I'll give you this after this uh, regularly scheduled word from our sponsor, <laughs> your cigarette. <laughs> this free preview of special edition mommy issues is brought to you by our sponsor, Filthy Armenian Adventures. This very podcast. To listen to the last two hours of this episode, please subscribe on Patreon at patreon.com slash filthyarmenian. Um, there are a bunch of other bonus apps that are only available to subscribers. And our next regular adventure, a part two of the San Francisco Quartet, is coming on Monday and featuring the one and only Shant Mesrobian. So anyway, please subscribe. It's easy. And to see you on the other side of the paywall. Thank you for listening.